honorable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard. I am a professional sports fan. That is my lone profession at the moment. And I am joined by <laughs> Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, the kid, the god, the legend, some people call him, mostly just himself, Jay King. How are you doing there, Jay? Also employed just in sports. Ooh, that's a, that's impressive. Jay King, freshly shorn, hanging out, joining us uh, from the beaches of uh, Cape Cod. I mean, taking time out of his day, so we appreciate that. We are joined by another man whose uh, profession is directly sports. Uh, we have assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets, Nick Freeman, on the podcast. Um, he is joining us from Charlotte. I call him Rick. This is going to be confusing. I've known him for a while. I call him Rick. In my brain, his name's Rick. So, Rick, how you doing? I'm doing well, SPEC guy. It's a pleasure uh, having me on here. I'm excited to do this thing. So, hold on. I got to ask about the Rick Nick thing. Right? <laughs> Long story. Got it in high school, approximately my freshman year, and it just stuck. Um, he was just and, doing a character, like a, like a, an alternate version of him, and he said, like, I'm Rick Friedman. And then just, like, it was a good character, so it just took off. And I've got, like, people from five different, like, worlds of my life who have all found a way to call me that, and it's, like, stuck. <laughs> and so many people it, are confused at the same time. This is extremely narcissistic of me, but, like, I clearly have a thing with nicknames. Like, I called Terry Rozier Tito Three Sticks and just, like, kept calling him that. And, I mean, like, but I like, and I, that's what it is in my head. So like, as soon as he became Rick, I started calling him Rick. And so I want to take some sort of a credit for it. So you I, think it's all you, I feel like that's a classic Packer thing to, oh, yeah. I to said join a nickname brigade with like a whole bunch of people and then take credit for it afterward. I still think there's nothing better than Vinny sex fingers, but <laughs> that, that was all Vinny sex finger. He, he created that. I just called him Vinny sex pants, but we brought you on today because the NBA's Maybe coming back with the bubble. We don't know. Crazy things going on with numbers in Orlando. But they are, are started the process of individual workouts. Players are getting tested. We just found out today uh, 16 players, I think, out of 302 tested for coronavirus. So those people will quarantine. But teams are in the process of getting back. And uh, Rick, as a assistant coach for the um, Charlotte Hornets, you spent uh, time. You were uh, – what was your exact position? Because you work more in player development, and I know you spent time – both in the G League uh, and uh, with the NBA club. Right. So this season I was uh, the two-way player coach. So specifically in player, player development, and what my role entailed was I'm traveling between the G League and the NBA organizations, you know, with, which, with whatever guys we have on assignment. Um, so we had Caleb Martin and Jalen McDaniels as our two rookies that were on assignment, and then obviously our two-way players, which act as our 16th and 17th guys on our roster – um, so when those guys are in the G league, I'm with them when they're in the NBA, I'm with them. Um, and I kind of had, you know, at time we have four guys, right? So sometimes two of them are up and two of them are in the G. Um, so I kind of got to pick and choose, uh, when I'm going to be with them, when I'm going to try to get updated on our terminology on things that we're putting in up top so that our G league program is up to date, um, as smoothly as possible. And so I think the thing that's interesting is like when you say you're with them and, I, and this is like the distinction I make between, uh, I guess, front of bench coaches and player development and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like every time I've seen you coaching, you're on the court, you're running these guys, you're putting them through drills. There's a lot of um, 
just like skill development. And I, so I think it's interesting to get your perspective now as, as guys are coming back, like, what do you think that they're going to be? Well, first answer, I guess that question, like, what is the difference between, I guess, a player development coach and like a, like Jay Laranega, like assistant coach? Well, I think it's at the end of the day, right. Coaches have to be well-versed in player development. They have to be well-versed in X's and O's. And one thing that I've always thought is interesting is putting guys in boxes and saying, oh, you're player development, so you're strictly player development. And you, then, you know, assistant coach, you're strictly X's and O's on the offensive end or defensive end. And I think one thing that's very interesting with working for a James Borrego is he wants you to be all-encompassing, right, because you have to be able to do both. If you don't understand the X's and O's, you don't truly understand how to make sure that your player development is translatable and applicable, right, and vice versa. If I don't, if I don't understand our concepts offensively, every nuance of our play calls, how to help a player get his within the confines of an offense, then my player development isn't necessarily going to work all the way. Um, so I think we tend to, like you said, make that distinction of separating the two. But at the same time, in order to truly you know, be a productive coach at this level, you have to be well-versed in both. The second part of the question is, considering you have to combine those things, like players are coming back right now, they can only do one-on-one workouts with individual coaches like yourself. Right. What are you looking for? Like you don't have these. This is the, probably the longest time these uh, some players have gone without playing basketball. It might be as five months. Listen, I went and go. I went and hooped for the first time in three months, five on five the other day, and it was glorious, the best feeling in my life. But I was absolutely atrocious. So, <laughs> I haven't played in so long. From, that's coming from me, right? So, like, you know, I think. While it's been a nice little break, I think more so from a mental standpoint of being able to take a step back and reflect and and realize how unbelievable an opportunity is to play this game for a living on a daily basis has been really important for these guys. But at the same time, you're going to clearly be full of rust. So for me, like with these workouts, um, a lot of it is just geared towards shooting. You know, you're not allowed to do full contact and bump guys uh, per the CDC regulations. So for me, like what my approach would be is like, we're going to get high volume reps up. We're going to make you feel great about your jump shot. You may do some touch stuff, but for now, until we can get, we're allowed to do full contact and and start bumping and hitting guys, like why not just become as confident as a shooter as you possibly can be? Um, So for me, I just think that's like the main staple of what your workouts are going to have to look like. It's just high volume reps, super challenging drills, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that like Ray Allen used to do. Rest in peace, Russell Butler. Um, but he was a he was a big time make five in a row at five spots, four in a row, three in a row, two in a row, one. Right. Stuff like that. I think to challenge um, your jump shot and challenge your shot making ability is for me like the staple of what you're going to have to do right now. Was there a noticeable dip in skill level from the time the NBA shut down to the time guys started trickling back in to the facility? Not, not to, from what I saw. I thought our guys yeah. were actually pretty sharp. You know, we've got a motivated young group, um, and they, they held themselves accountable. We're in shape, but obviously when it comes down to actual game-playing shape, like you can run on a track, you can do as much agility and, and foot speed stuff as you want, but until you're actually hooping and getting between those lines, like you're, you're, um, your shape isn't going to be where you want it to be. Yeah, and when, when you guys were away from, from the team – what were you trying to do to to keep in contact with the guys, to keep their skills sharp, to keep their conditioning sharp? Obviously, you guys aren't going back to the bubble, 
But for a while there, that that wasn't certain, at least. Well, for me, it was a lot of film and a lot of positive film. Yeah. We were at a point in our season where G League, you know, we had seven games left in the G League season, I believe 16 left in the NBA. And for me, it was like, well, we got, we're at a weird point in our world, right? With, you know, COVID and racial tension and all this stuff going on. And for me, it was like, well, we want to look at our areas of improvement, but we also want to be positive about it. And that's not to sugarcoat it. It's just to help guys actualize and understand that like, hey, you're in a good spot. We need to tackle these things in order to help you get to the next level, but embrace it as a positive. Don't see that these areas of improvement are really an attack of your character or criticism of who you are as a ball player. It's like, if you can understand that correction isn't criticism, you're going to succeed at this level. And that for me is kind of the mindset of what I was trying to instill in my guys. And that's a lot through film. Um, So, you know, more quick hitting. I try to not do things that's like over four minutes. Um, And we've done a lot of stuff via Zoom. It's been great. I mean, Zoom's unbelievable. You can share a screen. Like the other day, I watched an edit with a guy and he can watch exactly what I'm watching at the same time. We can break it down. You know, and it's it's so it's been very easy and seamless and a, a really nice, um, you know, feature to the quarantine, if you will. So in terms of what you're talking about before, like balancing X's and O's versus player development, considering they can't do contact, like how much can a team work on, I guess, its offense? Or is it really like to kind of just focus on like what you said, getting comfortable in your jump shot and then kind of trying to build that back in, like how much offensive game planning and, and X's and O stuff could you do um, over zoom? And could they hypothetically be doing now? I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, it's more of like you're getting, you're not really locked into that stuff right now. It's more about the individual um, not to be selfish, but you're just trying to improve the individual and keep a guy mentally right and confident Um Versus like really being team oriented, you know, we've been with these dudes the whole year. Uh, it's It's been a grind. It's been a drain. There's a lot of outside factors like we talked about with just the nature of the world. And um, it's time to kind of get away from that and focus on the individual and show a lot of love in that respect. Do you think as a team that's not headed to the bubble, do you think that's like a a a big hit for your guys development that you're not going to get the rest of these games that you're not going to get like real practices together. Obviously the rules aren't entirely clear yet. Um, at I least mean, from the outside perspective, but do you think you guys need that or is it just more like skill work right now for you guys? I mean, it's tough. Like, yeah. you know, we'll figure it out. Like I'm confident in our group. I'm, I know we've, we've got a great head coach that has a plan in place and we just have to stay the course and you know, it, it it'll work itself out at the end of the day. Like, We'll find our time to get right, and the league will come up with a plan for our timetable for return. But, you know, at this point it is tough. Like, you'd love to be able to, to hoop and play five-on-five five regularly and, and you know, uh, give these guys some contact and workouts and do read-and-react drills, but you can't, you know. But this is what we're – the hand that we're given, and we've got to make the best of it. I, I This is a question coming from, like, complete ignorance, but how, like – how long do they have? Like, what do you get? Either of you know when the schedule is, like when they can return to full practices before they start actually playing games in like August 1st? Like, is it only going to be two weeks of like contact drills? I think or, like, training five camp starts July 11th, maybe. Yeah. Um, that's what so I like. Three weeks. Is that enough time to hype? Like, ideally, you would have your system in place. Like, nothing's going to really like change. Is that just trying to spend? 
and this is, I'm asking you to guess too, because obviously you don't know, but it's just like trying to get back into um, working as a team and kind of team concepts in that like kind of short time period. Yeah, is, that think, enough, is that enough time to do that? Yeah. I think a three week window is fine. Um, I think you keep it simple. I don't think you over um, overwhelm these dudes with information and new concepts and new sets. Like you just take the basis of what you're trying to implement, what you've been successful with throughout the course of the year you overemphasize it, um, and I think you just more or less like kind of let guys play and figure it out. These guys have had a lot of experience within what they've been what it, within what our coaches are trying to do, um, and it's only just a matter of time. And I think a three week window is you know it's it's not like the best, but I do think three weeks is enough to help get reacclimated and then head into the bubble to be able to be productive and on the same page. One thing that's interesting to me is like. This is probably the longest coaches have ever had to evaluate their own teams in the middle of a season. It's not probably. It is definitely the longest coaches right. have ever had. To, it's like a full off season for coaches to look back at what worked, look back at what didn't. Do you expect that to to make a difference? Like if if teams make big tweaks, like how, how much do you expect teams to change well, um, just, from when the season was going? It's tough, like for us, right? We've done so much review of our own selves, and it's been unbelievably productive. But like, yeah. You don't have the natural schedule of, okay, I'll in the morning watch some film, then get on the court, and I'm distracted from, you know, watching more film. I take a little bit of a break, lunch break. I go have conversation, daily conversation, and then I get back to the grind of, of breaking down film. Like, you don't have that spacing of a natural day. So, like, you bang out all your work. You bang out all your review of the offensive end, the defensive end, and it's like, well – We've got all this material. We can't show it to the players on demand. Yeah. It's just too much to show. So, like, for us, like, I, you've got to kind of ride that that line of we know what to do, but we don't necessarily want to throw it all at them at one, at yeah. one time or else it's just going to be, like, in one ear and out the other. So you have to be very strategic. Um, but it is it is crazy. Like, we've gone through – it feels like I've gone through two off-seasons now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at this point where quarantine, like I was the most productive I think I've ever been in my life. I thought I had a revelation as a coach, as a person, um, learned a ton about myself, learned a ton about the year. And then it's like after two and a half months, you're like, well, now what? Like, <laughs> I got to I got to implement this stuff now. Yeah. yeah. Like I want to, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to help guys get better. But now I've kind of got to take a foot off the gas pedal, maybe just get my mind completely off of basketball um and then come back to it at some point but right now we like for a team like us right like we don't we may not even play until december yeah you know, that's such a long break have a summer league or have a four team jamboree or something like that like um jamboree is an excellent word to describe <laughs> i do like jamboree jamboree is a good word they, they really got it we should host the anything is potable jamboree and i'll be like an and one mc and just be like uh, talking shit the whole time that's a that's a million dollar idea you got to wear a tank top. I mean, everyone's going to be wearing tank top. Free tank top for all participants. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 wild, you know. Um, but a really good learning experience. And like I said, this is a time where we as coaches have to be creative and adjust and just find ways to make our players comfortable and confident. Do you the think? Great- do you think a lot of teams that go back to the bubble will be like? maybe not drastically changed, but like significantly changed because coaches see things that are different. Like how do you expect that to happen? Do you think it's going to be the same hierarchy that we left that the NBA left on or, 
you talking about like just in terms of teams stacking up against each other or like yeah. you may see on the court? Teams stacking up against each other. Um, yeah. I, you know, first and foremost, what I'll say is I think we're going to see some really creative things, particularly on the defensive end. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw more zone um, across the league. Um, I think it's really trending in the right direction. It's as, a, as, a, as an offensive guy, like it is a hard thing to crack consistently. And I think the best defensive teams in the league really have a great sense of when to use it. Um, so I'd be, it'd be interesting to see how many teams start really playing zone in that setting um, and in higher volume. But, you know, it's in terms of like how the league stacks up, you just don't know right now because you don't know who's yeah. going to play and who's not going to. And then how about this whole factor of if one of these dudes does get Corona, like, you know, he's out. Yeah. Like right? what if like Tatum gets it a game two of an Eastern conference semifinals is just like that completely changes everything. And that, that's like another weird dynamic. Cause it's like, they're coming back for this whole like team, um, very like focused. And I'm assuming they're going to want to implement the basics and there's eight games and then it immediately changes into the playoffs, which feels like a completely kind of different style or way of coaching where it's extremely matchup driven and it's uh, the really a chance to get make individual game adjustments. And so it's how coaches are going to be able to handle to like because you want to reestablish like the habits that you've like the good habits that the team had throughout the season. And you want to kind of like get back that foundation. But then you immediately go into something that is like very specific for your opponent. And so that's. I don't even know if that's a question, but that's just an observation. No, yeah, I mean, it's the pace of the game. Like you said, it's the pace of the game slows down. It's a different style. It's more grinded out. Like, a lot of these teams are going to have to go into this thing, like, with a much more adjusted mindset to play playoff basketball right away, you know, um, with guys who are inexperienced and so forth. It's, it's, it's an interesting, um, you know, dilemma for a lot of coaches. Yeah, the- I, I'm kind of fascinated to see what the actual basketball looks like because guys have been away for so long. And from the sound of it and from the looks of it, like you see Marcus Gasol, you see Nikola Skinny Marcus Gasol, skinny-ass Nikola Jokic, their game's going to be completely different. Like I mean, everybody's getting – getting. I mean, even from – like I talked about, like my own personal experience through yeah. court, like I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. And for a lot of these dudes, it's the same. It's the same deal. Like, there's a lot of transformation going on physically. It's just a matter of like how quick are you going to become comfortable with the ball in your hands because you're not getting up and down. Like, there's no feeling of that. But at the same time, again, this is this has been a uh, moment in all of our lives where we're being able to reflect and not be so gung ho on. Oh, I'm going to be so rusty, and um, you know the ball is going to feel this type of way. Like. At the end of the day, we're all grateful to even have this opportunity, and I think that'll allow guys to feel a little bit more confident with making mistakes and saying, "Ah, oh, it's you know, I'll be back quicker. You know, I'll be I'll be back soon. It's just going to take a little bit of time." Yeah, but there's not much time. I, I, I look back <laughs> at I look back at the lockout seasons, and ninety nine. Yeah, some of those were gross. Like ninety nine was disgusting. But guys got fat then. I don't think guys will get fat now. Like I feel yeah. like the league has changed. The players in the league has have changed. In '99, the shooting percentages were super were shitty to start the year, and like I was listening to some podcasts where it's like pe- Vegas people got rich just betting the unders because yeah. like the new shooting percentage was so down. And so I think that's interesting what you said. Like the most important skill that the players could be working now is like establishing that jump shot. But I do think I would imagine in 1999, I don't know, I was nine then that like players weren't 
like working out and being in the best shape of their like lives, as I imagine uh, a lot of the NBA players are right now. And so it's, it's interesting to see like if they're going to be able to like reestablish that jump shot um, early, if like those fundamental skills, because um, I think the other thing that is like, we're haven't really mentioned is that how beneficial just the time off could be on some guys legs. Like, the Houston Rockets were gassed. Uh, like they were basically playing five guys and um, really just didn't have the legs anymore. It's basically people are going to be going into the playoffs with completely fresh legs, which is just not something that normally happens. It, it feels like a lot of the things that make LeBron so dominant in the playoffs is that like his body never breaks down and he's going to be in like, I know he's going to be in amazing shape, but like all these players have an opportunity to come back in great shape and not have the wear and tear of the season that like, you know, on a, Jokic is so skinny because like he doesn't have enough time during the season. Like he keeps on that weight just from like that's natural, just like in season playing weight. And so it's just going to be interesting to see how it's not just natural in season playing weight. He, well, you see how easy he got down? He's like a slim Serbian. Jokic's brother is like the most intimidating person I think I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> I have not. Yeah, the, Jok- the, the Jokic family is scary. They're scary. I mean, they're, they're, uh, yeah, they're they're intimidating cats, man. But um, but, but how much like so you've played been on like multiple uh, G League seasons and like how much of a grind do the players have on them physically later in the year? And do you think there's going to be like benefits from maybe kind of coming back fresh and playing a playoffs where you have um, people talking about risk to injury? But like I don't know in, from the Celtics perspective, like Kemba Walker probably hasn't had like a lot of. Uh, pressure on his knee that was bothering him in the year. So he's like likely, or at least in the Celtics fans perspective to come back like with a better body. And so it might, maybe we'll have better basketball. Right. You know, it's a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways, like I mentioned, and I thought more so than anything, it's a blessing in disguise mentally and emotionally for a lot of these dudes. Um, You kind of brought up comparing the G league grind to the NBA grind and getting time off, you know, for our guys, right? Like, I mean, you have a dude like Tremont Waters in your organization who's going, you know, playing high-volume minutes in the G, excuse me, and then, you know, having to make the trip to Boston and, you know, taking flights here and there, like, you know, travel between between both organizations. Like, that's a lot of mental wear and tear, um, you know, and be able to sit back and reflect and have that time um, off is, is, is crucial at this point. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how a lot of these two-way players are incorporated in this setting, just given the fact that there are a lot of guys, in my opinion, that in across the league didn't necessarily get a ton of days this year that could have been productive NBA players. And now that you're in an Orlando setting where you don't know if some of these dudes are going to play, it'll be interesting to see which, which, which of those players like step up and really make an impact and make a difference with their teams. Yeah, especially with players announcing now that they um... – some players are not going to go. Avery Bradley um, decided he's not going to go because um, his uh, son is kind of at higher risk. Willie Cauley-Stein's having a baby in July. He decided he's not going to go. Like the games at this point are still going to go on. And so teams are going to have to, and there's potential that people might get sick. And so teams are bringing these rosters and we can see a way in which two-way guys um, kind of take on more importance and, um, it's going to be really interesting to see like which ones are easily able to kind of like slide into that role. Cause we talk about the NBA. It's like, there's so many guys in the G league and like, there's so many like great basketball players uh, who are trying to make the league, but really this need opportunity. 
right. due to the kind of the unfortunate circumstances, there's going to be a, a, probably a lot of new opportunities for these guys who are on the bubble when they get into bubble. That's some wordplay right there. Mm. But it's going to be interesting to see like kind of who who makes the takes advantage of that um, and so who's who's most ready to kind of kind of step in in those moments. Right. And I think, you know, there are a number of reasons as to why, you know, we want the NBA to come back and why basketball should be played and why it would be so great, you know, even just for our country to be able to watch the NBA back in action. But more so for me and from where I'm coming from and the players that I deal with, you know, when you don't, if the season were to end and there weren't an, a bubble in Orlando, like you've got a lot of guys with unguaranteed money that haven't had a shot um, to get their days that they were guaranteed um, with their NBA teams. And if that, if they aren't able to get, you know, this opportunity in Orlando, like you've got a lot of guys in flux um, and it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to deal with. And I think that's one thing that we all have to consider in this, um, in this effort to play basketball again, that those guys are going to be drastically impacted if they don't hoop. You know? I hadn't thought about that at all, but it's like another opportunity for them to, to prove themselves. And they're like, especially G League guys live as such as uncertain kind of lifestyle. Cause they just, not like well-paid relatively to right and a lot of summer league to springboard themselves you know guys like quinn cook right like quinn cook the whole entire you know this is before the two-way but like when he's in you know canton his first year and has a great season you know i i I can't remember if he did get called up that year or not but like he springboarded himself that much more uh in a summer league setting and then now you don't have um that opportunity here in orlando being the main opportunity of of being able to get a chance to to imprint yourself on, on the game, um, you know, if you don't have that, you, you've got you've got a lot of uncertainty in your life, you know, and that's something that we all have to consider, just the psychological component of everything that's going on for those dudes too. And a lot of teams too in the bubble, like they don't have a lot of teams. Their seeds are like kind of set, and so there will be time to experiment with with G League guys, the two way guys, and there will be time to give playing time to which is weird there's LeBron, gonna be should, LeBron should play like 20 minutes a game like there's, there's gonna be tanking in the bubble Bradley Beal I guarantee he plays no more than two games in the bubble right but right. like, why would you play Bradley Beal for, for a team like Washington right like you're you're really using it to build confidence build experience build up those young guys get a couple more games under your belt and head into the offseason with more you know with just a little bit more um boost behind you you know that's why it's crazy that like people are coming out and criticizing Bertans for not like going to the league but Bertans is making the best decision for himself like financially like he could like hurt himself and he's like lined up for a big deal but him actually leaving opens up a space for someone in the Wizards organization to to prove themselves to like give them another opportunity and I think it's like it's weird. Like we saw Evan Fournier come out and be like, this is what's wrong with the NBA these days, but it's like weird to kind of criticize them. The wizards don't really have a realistic shot of making even the playoffs. Like their best chance is like, to go, 40. they have to go eight and O and then like win a playoff game. And so it's like, why is Bert and, and like Jay said, like, why is Bradley Beal going to spend like play that many minutes? Like, why not give it to this opportunity for these guys to kind of like prove themselves for, for Troy Brown? Or That's Garrison right. Matthews, their two-way guy. Garrison yeah. Matthews, yep. Feed, feed him. Man can stroke it. He can stroke it. Yeah, uh, but yeah it's, 
it's such an interesting dynamic right now. Like I, I again, like I don't blame a Davis Bertans for not. Not at all. I don't blame any guy for not going. Like it's no. your personal decision. Like it's, it's crazy like world. College football players don't play in the bowl game. Like they they know that they've got a ton of money coming, and that game isn't going to impact their bottom line. Especially in the guys like that you know, like have grinded and put everything towards like being in this position. Like you know, setting everything up for that first big contract. Right. It would be insane I, for him to play. It would be dumb if Davis Bertans played and they're like, I don't, I wouldn't blame him because like you said, it's like people want to come back and play basketball. Cause like, this is what they've been. It's one thing they can be certain about. And it's like the thing they've been building towards, but like he has a chance to make like become energy, like get intergenerational wealth, which as I'm reading a book about reparations is a huge, huge factor uh, contributing to wealth in this country um, is intergenerational wealth. Um, but you can't blame him for like kind of not taking like guess the the risk there, and so I. But I I guess I will. Uh, I feel like we've been framing all these discussions about like whether or not the players should play and things like that around kind of like the stars because they like Kyrie is the one who's in the news. But I hadn't been thinking about it from the G League perspective. Is like you have, there's so many guys who have been like reflective, as you said, and like probably want to like want a chance to kind of take in what they've learned about themselves in quarantine or like and put that in and on the court. So they can kind of get the chance at intergenerational wealth. Like this is a real opportunity for some guys. And it's like, how do you balance kind of the, like the safety of like not having that many people in the bubble, but also you like, you want to like give those guys on the, those like G league players, the opportunity to do that too. Even practice is an opportunity for those guys. Like Tremont Waters, we talked about him. G league League rookie of the year. He spent most of his time in Maine. You know, he wasn't even practicing in Boston. So, yeah, they they were impressed by his progress. Yeah, they liked what they saw. But Brad Stevens isn't seeing him every day. Brad Stevens isn't seeing his his habits. Brad Stevens isn't seeing him compete against Kemba Walker and the other guys in the rotation. And so I, I think even going through training camp again will be will be a big opportunity for those guys. You want to know why Tremont won G League uh, Rookie of the Year, Jay? Because he, he worked with Rick. <laughs> got my punchline. Yeah, Rick worked him out uh, pre-draft. That's all on him, man. He's he's a special kid. He's a special worker, and he, you know, it's 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 one of those things where I didn't really realize it until I was in the role of two-way coach. But when you're in that two-way player role and you're not with the NBA team for long periods of time, like no matter what anybody's going to tell you, you're going to feel distant from the organization. And you're going to feel a level of confusion and uncertainty. And to be able to fight that and stay in the moment and maximize your production and win that award and truly come away as like that being a no brainer says a lot about who you are as a person. Um, And for Tremont to do that with all the adversity that's gone on in his life um, is really a testament to who he is and who he's going to be in this league. He's he's awesome talking to him. He's like a funny dude, and he's just uh, very humble, but also the like insanely confident, but in like the most calm way possible. Like he's just like yeah, he, he is like very assured of himself, but it's, there's like no arrogance to it, and it's just a fascinating like character study because I just don't know how he pulls it off. Like he's just a, he's just a like a, a he's a normal kid, conversational kid. He gets life. He understands it. He understands that. You know, be, be, but that you know, because of your platform, that doesn't mean that you're you're different, right? 
like you're on the same page, you're on the same level. He's just an exceptional basketball player. You know, I call him baby genius. I know um, Austin <laughs> Ames. That, was that like, name is going to stick. Packers, yeah. Packers going to make that name the stick. Guy, he didn't like, take credit for it. The dude's just his ability to read the game and like it, it's it's just so natural um, and it's special. You know, there's not a lot of guys in this world that can do that. Um, you know, he, he's got a hell of a future ahead of him. So you worked with him pre-draft, if I'm not mistaken. What what did you learn about his game and what he needs to do to kind of stake his claim in the NBA and moving forward? Well, I think the, the big thing that he and I worked on was there wasn't a lot to add with him skill-wise. You know, that that's something that was going to naturally come as he just – as he got, you know, introduced to NBA concepts and he would pick all that stuff up. The dude can shoot the crap out of the ball. That was way before I, I had gotten to him. My big thing was helping him understand, and this is a, a big problem for a lot of point guards coming from college to the NBA, is that you have to you have to be aggressive and score first in order to allow your pass-first mentality to truly develop and truly unfold. At first, when we were playing 5-on-5, five five, Tremont was so pass-first and probe-first that being a small guard, a lot of those windows of opportunity go away. So I had to really you know, get into his mind of, You've got to be score first at all time and at all times and make the defense believe that you're a threat to score or else those windows are just going to collapse and you're not going to be able to do what you do as a facilitator. So it took him a little bit, but once he got it, that thing clicked. And it was like awesome to watch him on a daily basis just play. We would do a lot of organized scrimmaging. So it wasn't like just straight up throw the guys out there and play five on five. We would implement a couple like common NBA sets, like a a pistol or a delay or any of that stuff. And the guys would play out of that and we would run ATOs and coach it. And he would just dominate the whole setting, not with just his ability to score, but just his ability to control the game. Um, so that was like the biggest thing was just understanding how to be aggressive, you know, balancing that aggressive versus passive mentality. Um, and then just being a leader and communicator. That's one, you know, guys like I had Jared Harper as well from Auburn. who He was quiet. Right. So for me, like, that aspect of the, of the game, the IQ, the, the leadership things like, you know, you want to you're obviously tackling the, the skill component of everything on a daily basis. But that's got to be the overarching theme of how you're trying to get these dudes better. The character, the leadership, the communication, especially as a point guard. All right, uh, Rick, um, basketball is coming back. I just found the court by, down by Bunker Hill. No one's there. Um, you've played basketball with me. How do I improve? I got no left. I just, I figured out the you other gotta, day. You got to get some skills. You got to learn how to dribble. You got to learn how to shoot. Development guy. This guy used to be like five, four in high school <laughs> and then like sprouted and like has, you know, he's got good size. Like you can use him as a small ball five. I really think you need to improve your post game because you can't bury a switch in a five on five in a pickup setting. Oh no, I'm terrible in post. I, I can't abuse a switch at all, but you can guard. And you're aggressive and you foul like crazy. <laughs> I think every single time I've ever been uh, played Rick one-on-one or just in any setting, I just foul. I hack the shit out of him. Not yeah. when he's going up, just like just reaching fouls. Uh, Sam witnessed experience one of the worst things, time, worst time things ever. I get the job with the Charlotte Hornets. And that, that day I'm like, all right, let's go play pickup at Beaver Country Day. Oh, like, yeah, I forgot about this. This dude, freaking some guy at the at the thing, like I'm going up for a left-hand layup. He acts like he's going to block my shot and then just stunts and stops and st- 
falls un- like that steps under me and I sprain like grade three like worst sprains. Oh, grade three bad. Yeah, it was like the worst. <laughs> Whatever the worst one was. It was like the worst grade you could have. And I'm like freaking out because the next day I'm just like expected to go run workouts on the court and I can barely walk. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm going to lose my job. Please, <laughs> but you, I, you also witnessed one of my greatest basketball moments is when we got to play pickup with Joe Johnson and me and Joe Johnson and you just like ran to the team off the court. So you know wow. we've seen the ups and downs. So I'm at some. This is a great story. So we're at summer league, kicking it. I get a call from my guy Jeremy Pargo. Hey, you want to come play pickup uh, with us with Joe Johnson? This is like what three years ago, right? Yeah, we're like. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, we need uh, – my Jeremy's like, yeah, we need another – we need at least one more person. So I'm with Sam. I was like, Sam, you want to come hoop? He's like, yeah. So it's like – I feel like at, at Thomas and Mac at this point, I'll probably like maybe a beer or two deeper. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, not ready. Yeah, probably to- have like two, two, maybe three butt heavies. And so we go <laughs> over there. We're amped up. It's the Pargo brothers, Joe Johnson, a um, couple other guys who had like played Division One, and, and Sam and I are hooping. Like, like we're actually like, like getting wins and like Jeremy Pargo is just coming fresh off of injury. So like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm staying in front. I can do my thing. I can hold my own. I'm, I'm driving and kicking to Joe Johnson. He's killing. And I'm filling in the wing, you know, like I'm doing my role. No, the, the best part is we showed up and I was the 11th guy. So I had to watch the first couple of games just like, well, why the fuck am I here? And then one of, I think it's like Pargo's friends just like got, he was like tired or something. So I was like, can I play, sir? (laughs) And like, they're just like, who the fuck is this kid? And then I came in and just, you know, we just, as soon as I got there, uh, me, Rick and Joe Johnson just ran the court for the rest of the time. And so, you know, I impact winning. Did you, did you, one of the Pargos? Uh, I, I I did not clamp the Pargos. I definitely got, uh, switched onto and exposed by the Pargos. (laughs) No, Pargo is a mid range master. Guy, the guy can uh, straight up score it. I love Jeremy's game at Gonzaga. Man, he's good, man. I mean, he's he's over in Israel right now. He was he was in the G League last um, um, would say one and a half seasons. He had a really good year this year. Got called up. Um, just a strong physical guard, like just will bully the shit out of you. Can't, can't <laughs> stop, he, I mean, you can't stop him from getting where he wants. He's a, he's a talented player, man, and a really really good person. And but he couldn't beat Packard. I mean, uh, just, I'm a plus minus king. I think like <laughs> I don't yeah. have skills. I when I do a lefty layup, I do not jump off the right foot. I spent 35 minutes at the park just doing lefty layups the other day, trying to jump off the uh, the correct foot, just because I have no drive left. And if I I have no drive left because I'm not like uh, no one's thinking I'm going to attack the basket. I'm I'm trying to take the lessons you taught Traymon and uh, apply them in my own game. I got this terminology from Zach Lowe back in the day when he was writing his Grantland articles, but in a pinch, right? In a pinch, Sam Packard can guard. <laughs> I got instincts. I got instincts. In a pinch, I can't do anything on offense. If the ball swings to me in a pinch, I will stand there and pass it off to the next guy. I'll set a mean illegal screen, though. I'm a, very good at setting illegal screen. You are a good screener. <laughs> uh all right, fam. I appreciate you uh, joining us. I mean, anything else you want to talk about basketball-wise? You've been percolating down there in Charlotte for a month and a half now. Well, I'll just say, you know, uh, we were talking about this at the beginning of the podcast, but I've been involved with the Haitian national basketball team for the last six years. Um, 
have started a nonprofit called USA for FHB uh, alongside an individual by the name of Aaron Winshaw, uh, who used to work for the Miami Heat, now has taken over the project full time. And it's, I can't stress enough that it's an initiative that's far bigger than the game itself. And we've got a chance to really impact lives at a drastic level. Um, and using because you're basically trying to establish like uh, the whole basket basketball federation for the entire island. Like you have the basket, you 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 and Matt Brazi are the coaches, but like you're trying to basically establish this infrastructure that is just not does not exist there right now, right? Yeah, and you know they they have a, a burning love for the game, but it's just you know typically right like you know you have you know is United States for instance or. Just even like the Dominican, it's just like a more fortified, solidified, sustainable basketball culture with resources, and um, they don't have that. And as a result, you know, you have a lot of kids um, that go through the cracks and don't, you know, aren't able to better themselves through the game. Um, more specifically, an educational st- from an educational perspective, and uh, we've got a chance to really, you know, help the Haitian youth through the game of basketball and educate them, and um, you know create a uh, a socioeconomic imprint that isn't there right now. Um, You know, and uh, I think it's, it's a real special opportunity. Um, If anybody wants to learn more about it, go to the Instagram page, Haiti hoops um, and give that a follow and be part of something that's far bigger than yourself. Where's the team at right now? Like what's the next tournament? Are you doing like tournament of the Americas? Like where, where, we, we don't know right now. I mean, a lot of like a lot of our FIBA scheduling is all over the place. We were, we had a, a peculiar um, situation two summers ago where we had nine of our 11 players ruled ineligible. Um, when we were playing in a, uh, in the Caribbean cup, uh, we were flying tournament. It was before the semifinals, um, long story, but you know, there's been a lot of just like ambiguity of ruling of an, of eligibility and who's eligible and, you know, having, you know, needing passports before the age of 16. And we've uh, we've actually um, really taken some some major steps in the right direction towards uh, figuring all that out. And we've hired our, a general manager, brilliant general manager by the name of Sagar Serene, who works for the Minnesota Timberwolves now. And things are really starting to fall into place. And you know, hopefully we're playing next summer. I think we're supposed to potentially play in Jamaica. Um, but, uh, you know, the focus really is trying to fundraise um, the national team and fundraise other basketball initiatives within the country. We're looking at funding a school called Nouvelle Lune in Port-au-Prince. Um, right now we're going to try to do a big fundraiser in October and um, really focus on what we can control and uh, but uh, we've got an opportunity to be good. You know, we've got Scala BCA, we've got Caddy Lane. Um, you know, those two guys automatically put us in a, in a pretty interesting um, place talent wise. And uh, we've got a ton of division one guys, um, you know, almost 30 plus uh, guys that could potentially, you know, potentially play for us at the national team level. And we've got a chance to really build something unique and strong and, and make a difference. That's cool. I- I mean, that that is an awesome initiative. I'm also impressed. You gave like a, a TV commercial, man. You were like, so give that an Instagram like and be something to, be part of something man. bigger than yourself. And I was like, yo, that, that is a that is straight out of a TV commercial right there. Sam Sam knew me in my drama classes, man. I was, I was pretty good. It was uh, phenomenal. You talk about commitment to uh, a character or to commitment to the scene. No embarrassment from Nick Friedman. 
I'm and that guy you, commits every single I, time. I, I'm, I'm throwing Haiti hoops a follow j- just just because of that. I would have done it anyway, but but that was an impressive, impressive commercial. <laughs> Everyone go out and follow Haiti Hoops. Everyone go out and subscribe to Anything is Potable. Rate us five stars. Uh, we thank you for listening. Tell a friend. Uh, and, yeah, support Haiti Hoops. Rick, thank you for coming on. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Haiti I don't Hoops, know. Man. He's Haiti they got Haiti Hoops gear, tank tops forever. Uh, thank you to the listener gods out there. We'll be back next week with more talk about the NBA. Uh, but thank you to listening to this episode of Anything is Potable.